I'm cautious on wearable data, yeah. but I use it and I get my athletes to use it. So we can say, I, I say around 80% accurate. So if we're looking at wearable data, we can look at deep sleep patterns. Mm. So what I would suggest to anybody who's tracking their sleep is just look for patterns. If you had three hours of deep sleep one night, which by the way, you should look for around 20 to 25% of total sleep time to be in REM sleep, most of it to be in, in deep sleep if you can. But if you had a really good deep sleep score, study yourself. What, what did I do well that night? What didn't I do well? More often than not, the first place to start is total sleep time. Hey guys, welcome back to the Neuro Experience Podcast. I hope you're having an awesome day. Today is just a little snippet of a nugget of gold that I think you guys can get massive amounts of value from. So typically I'm doing uh, one podcast a week on other people's platforms and when I listen back to them on social media or on any other platform, I'm realizing just how powerful some of the things are that I'm saying. And I want you guys to have access to them. I want you guys to be listening to what I'm saying. And for that, I'm going to be posting weekly some of the the, the biggest nuggets of gold that I speak about on other people's podcasts. Enjoy. I know cool. that that was another one of your pillars. So we have sleep, exercise, yeah. and nutrients. Big fan of creatine. Creatine's involved in energy cell production. Uh, it decreases, I believe, which you probably have more to say on this as we age. We also we used to think that creatine was just there for the body to get big and right. buff. The bodybuilders made it famous. Uh, Thank you now, guys, by yeah, the way. <laughs> it's um, an amazing supplement, uh, but we also now know that it's incredibly important for the brain. In fact, my father had a um, had a right parietal lobe stroke back in 2019. So, you can imagine there's hypoxia happening there. We certainly. I've got him supplementing with five grams a day, and he's great. He's you know it's, you know two three years on now, but he's he's going to the gym. He's noticed. He doesn't know what he's taking at first. He's like <laughs> she's giving me drugs. And you're like, just go with it. Just go with go it. with it, Dad. Extremely, um, you know, it's it's cost effective and yeah, very very safe. Creating monohydrate. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Omega-3 fatty acids. Yes. I think I will go to my grave telling people <laughs> to take this. Uh, Dosage-wise, the most uh, widely studied dosage is four grams a day. So four grams of EPA, four grams of DHA. So omega-3 is made, omega-3 fatty acids from fatty fish, mackerel, salmon. It's made up of EPA, DHA, and ALA. And these EPA and DHA, the DHA seems to be much more important for the brain and the EPA is uh, you, where you get your cardiovascular benefits from. But we even have studies now, human studies that show that four grams a day of each, which is 2000 milligrams, can have an effect on mild cognitive impairment patients and Alzheimer's disease patients by going in and ameliorating these amyloid beta proteins. Mm, that's really interesting. And I think that the evidence is definitely in favor of fish oil and that kind of supplementation. It's been around for so long. Been around for so long, yeah. What about um, ketones? Yeah, I'm, I I love ketones. Um, mm. We know it's a preferred fuel of the brain when in a glucose-deprived state. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I don't know why there's this 
misalignment now with ketones versus glucose. Your brain uses glucose for energy, right? Okay, but people yeah, yeah, yeah. want to fight and say that no, it's ketones. But the ketones are there uh, when the right when we've got no glucose. So I just wanted to make that clear. And it's great; it immediately crosses the blood-brain barrier. And for me and my clients, what we've seen is not just an uh, not just an ability to keep enduring for longer but we see an appetite suppressant involved mm. in that. So I'm having exogenous ketones as well. So you are. Interesting. And the last supplement I'll ask you about, unless you want to share other ones, because I think there's so many interesting ones, like methylene blue. Have you, you know, there's just. Yeah, there's, it's too. It's early, too early. Yeah. I'm okay. not going to say gimmicky, but right now I think that needs to be monitored by yeah. a very well-known, a well-known, uh, a physician who knows what they're doing in that area. I'm seeing people just chewing on it, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, yeah, it's not there yet for me. Okay. Uh, but other things that are great for even sleep is um, magnesium L3 and 8. Yep. It can penetrate the central nervous system. And whenever I have L3 and 8, I'm having a really deep sleep. That's, that is important. Um, and I'm sure everybody is going to try that because probably the majority of people are not getting into deep sleep. Correct. Majority. And, you know, we've got, so I wear wearable data. Okay. Now, coming from a sleep lab, you can't yeah. say that anything outside of a sleep lab is 100% effective. So I'm cautious on wearable data, yeah. but I use it and I get my athletes to use it. So we can say, I, I say around 80% accurate. So if we're looking at wearable data, we can look at deep sleep patterns. Mm. So what I would suggest to anybody who's tracking their sleep is just look for patterns. If you had three hours of deep sleep one night, which by the way, you should look for around 20 to 25% of total sleep time to be in REM sleep, most of it to be in, in deep sleep if you can. But if you had a really good deep sleep score, study yourself. What, what did I do well that night? What didn't I do well? More often than not, the first place to start is total sleep time. Okay. What about the impact of food and exercise timing around sleep? Yeah. So uh, with that, exercise is best done in the morning. And that's because we know that you're going to get a robust release of cortisol, our stress hormone. It takes a while to come back down to baseline and even drop in order to fall asleep. So you want to be able to keep that away from sleep as much as possible. So I always tell people morning is best. If you can't do that, then try the furthest away from sleep. Don't try going to the gym at 8 p.m. Right. Because sleep is more important. <laughs> so you know, honestly, I can't. I fight with myself it's, because then I'll yeah. tell my professor, like, I'll find something out, you know, with myokines. I'll be like, oh, no, this is it. <laughs> we should talk about myokines. I know one of your big goals is to discover a new myokine that's going to help with neurodegeneration. Yes. And there's so many. And, you know, arguably we're in its, the infancy yeah. of understanding all of them, what they do. And 610 myokines. Right now that yeah. we know of. Yeah. Hopefully there'll be a Louisa myokine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. I think that would be amazing. Tell yeah. me a little bit about the research that you're doing now. So myokines are muscle-based proteins. You've spoken about them. And this I'm is obsessed where, with them. Yeah, yeah, this is where, yeah, you and I can really like collide together <laughs> in this because we used to think that exercise, you know, we used to think, well, why am I feeling good? What is the, what is the effect? We have this, 
It's actually a muscle brain crosstalk or muscle organ crosstalk. And that is due to myokine release. So myokines are muscle-based proteins. They're produced within the skeletal muscle. And when the skeletal muscle is contracting in an either an eccentric or a concentric phase, you can get a release of these amazing molecules that I always say that your muscles are like a pharmacy for your brain. These molecules, when they're released, they go into the bloodstream, into the circulation, and they go to different areas of the body. We have receptors on our organs. We have receptors on our heart, on our liver, our spleen, and in our brain. And when they're released from the muscle, they go into the bloodstream, they go up to the brain, they cross the blood-brain barrier, which is, you know, people think there's a, you know, I call it the bouncer to the club, you know, uh, but what happens is you've got uh, on the epithelial cells on the outside, you've got this blood-brain barrier and it's they're bound together by tight junctions, these cells, and they don't allow for the passive diffusion of certain molecules to enter. So they, they're like these little bouncers that say you can't get in. But certain things can cross the blood-brain barrier and these myokines can. And when they go in, oh, my God, they have enormous effects on the brain. Mm. Yeah, there you go. No, I, I was curious as to what do you think the benefit is going to be for exercise, neurodegeneration, doesn't matter the kind of disease process that we're looking at, the kind of exercise yeah. for brain protection. So one of the first things to go during neurodegeneration, especially Alzheimer's disease, is first of all, you've got the breakdown of the hippocampus, okay, the neurons within the hippocampus, which you start to lose memory function. So the hippocampus is this seahorse structure deep within the temporal lobes. So let's just leave that there and let's just focus on the frontal lobe. Okay, so if everybody's listening or if you're watching on YouTube, just get your right hand and you can do this as well and put it up against your forehead. Right there lives your frontal lobe. And it's about the area, the size of your palm. And that's probably the the most, when I say the biggest, I mean that houses the most amount of neurons in the brain. And our focus center is in there and that goes as well as we age. So we've got the breakdown of our focus regions in the frontal lobe. Then we've got the breakdown of the hippocampus. Now what happens is when we do a muscle contraction through exercise. So let's just say we're exercising, we're doing resistance training. Our skeletal muscle releases something called irisin, which is actually named after the Greek god of Iris because Iris was a messenger to the god. And that's what this irisin does. It acts as a messenger. So it gets released and it goes through and it'll go into the dentate, uh, the dentate gyrus within the hippocampus. So you imagine the hippocampus is like a seahorse and the head of the hippocampus is where it's having an effect. And it goes in and it can actually help with the proliferation of new neurons. So we can get neurogenesis, the creation of new neurons within the hippocampus. So that's how it has an effect on neurodegenerative diseases. Mm. We've also got cathepsin B. We've got IL-6. IL-6 is, you the know. The most famous myokine. It's the most famous time. myokine. It was the first discovered as a myokine because as you would know, it's actually a cytokine. Mm -hmm. But depending on where it's released, it becomes a myokine. It becomes a pro. So it's just, it's, it's just unbelievable that these 
not a pro-inflammatory cytokine, it becomes an anti-inflammatory cytokine. So it has an effect on immune function. It has an effect on cognitive functions. 